0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This morning we are looking at the result of peace. Kids, head to the kids' table if you haven't already. I'm always behind on that. they got it taken care of. Uh, The result of peace. We we looked at what was required for peace. Uh, The... uh, how unattainable that peace is, the, the, the purpose of peace last week, and this week we are looking at the result of peace. I just want to let you know, if you, if you missed it on the announcement slides, uh, we have m- exceeded our Lottie Moon goal uh, for international mission board offering, so I'm excited about that. Our goal was $8,000, I think, the last number we got was 83-something, 8,300 and something. So we've exceeded that. We exceeded George Barnett. I'm pretty sure we exceeded uh, Annie Armstrong back at Easter. I can't remember that. If anybody does, nod or something. Okay, nobody does. Um, so that, in my view, is just indicative of the continued health of our church, that that we are supporting our missionaries uh, and, and doing uh, – more than, than we thought we could. So uh, God is continuing to bless and continuing to uh, lead us to be a part of the, the great, grand mission that he is working on. Peace on earth, the result of peace, the last in our uh, five-week series of peace on earth. What in the world did the angels mean when they, when they told us that? Alright, so last week, well, we, I've been using World War II a lot in, in the examples, in the illustrations uh, for these messages. Last week I introduced you to the Marshall Plan that came along after, uh, after the Potsdam Declaration where Japan um, surrendered and then the Marshall Plan for Europe to get them back on their feet. So, after the Marshall Plan, what happened after uh, the, the Marshall Plan was implemented? Well... A lot of good things. Uh, 1948 to 1952 was the fastest period of European economic growth in Europe's history. Uh, Industrial production increased 35% in that time frame. Agricultural production surpassed pre-war levels. Poverty and starvation of 1945 through 47 disappeared. The 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 problems that they were having completely went away for that time period. They uh, this this Marshall Plan was what led directly to the European Union and the uh, the the joining the the the, uh, the easing of trade between European countries. So we we see all of these things occurring after the Marshall Plan, after this plan that was implemented to um, to succeed at peace, make peace easier, be the 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 uh, the the way that they would uh, that 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 peace would outflow from the end of the war. These were the results. It worked. When when peace enters a a place, whether it's a family or a a church or a country or a continent, there are positive results. Peace has positive results. This morning, looking at Philippians chapter 4, we are going to see the positive results of peace. What do we get out of peace? Chapter 4 Verses 4-7 of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us the results of peace, but he doesn't just jump right in and let us know. Of course, this is a culmination uh, of, uh, uh, of his letter to the church in Philippi. He has given the instructions. Y'all, I'd forgotten that the air conditioner closed my Bible for me. Uh, it's been that long since I was in here. That doesn't bother y'all at all, but I'm standing up here and my Bible starts doing this. Um, this is the close of, of Philippians. He's come to the end of his letter, he is uh, encouraged. Euodia and Syntyche, he's urged them to agree in the Lord, put down whatever they were fighting over. If you all remember when we talked about this passage, when we were going through Philippians back, I guess it was maybe September or so now, uh, when we were wrapping up, uh, or, uh, yeah, September, October, we were ra- wrapping up Philippians. We talked about Fanny Heck and Annie Armstrong and their their battles at the uh, at the um, WMU and, and how God... We would, the, the, how would things have worked out even better for the North American Mission Board at that time, Home Mission Board, if, if they had actually worked together instead of fighting all those years. He urges them, stop the fight, agree in the Lord. And then he gives these instructions. So he tells them, you need peace in your church. Here's how. He, he, he makes it clear, and he, he fills verses 4 through 6 with imperatives. There, there are things that are needed for peace. And he doesn't want us to skid, uh, skid by these things, slide by them, and, and, and ignore them and say, oh, well, we can have peace. No, he says, you need some things for peace. First of all, he says, rejoice In the Lord always. Remember, he is talking to uh, particularly the church where there's a fight going on. He's telling them, there's not enough joy of the Lord in your church right now. Rejoice in the Lord, he says, always. I will say it again, rejoice. Twice he puts the imperative to have joy. When are we supposed to have joy? Well, it is easy to have joy yesterday. It's easy to have joy when you're getting presents, or all the family's over, or if you had your, your big Christmas earlier in the week, was sometimes jobs force us to do that. Will uh, Tom and Amy are going to Mobile tomorrow. We're going to Baton Rouge this afternoon. You know Jobs make us have to move Christmas sometimes with very, to different places and times. Whenever you do it, though, it's easy to have joy in those times. Everything is going good. The, the table's full of food. You're getting the, the gifts you want. Now, when the bills come to you next January, the joy sort of dissipates uh, if we've uh, spent too much. And most of us have. But Paul is not talking about at this point or that point or, or, or qualifying it at all. He is saying have joy all the time. Joy in affliction is part of that. Joy, as we've talked about, and, and we can't get away from this, or at least I can't in, in my planning and in my uh, preparing. Joy in hurricanes, joy in pandemics, joy in all of these situations that we would say, I don't have to have joy. I can't have joy in this situation. Yes, you can. It's an imperative. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. Not sometimes, but always. Just in case you didn't hear me, church, Paul says. Rejoice. Rejoice. We find joy in the successes when things are going well. When, when properties are rebuilt and, and, and sound equipment is, is working like it's supposed to and, and all these things, we, we rejoice in those successes. Paul would not say, well, now temper your joy when things are going good. He, he wouldn't, wouldn't put that burden on us, good or bad. Rejoice. There is joy to be had in those situations. Find joy, he says, I believe, even in the monotony. Even in the middle, even when it's not really an affliction we're going through, there's no huge success. It's just the mundane day-to-day, the grind or the, 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 uh, the hour, uh, pa- hour falling on hour, falling on hour of just nothing to do. Rejoice in boredom. Oh, I'm looking for a day when I can be bored for a little while. That would be nice. Nice. I will rejoice in monotony and boredom, boredom around here a little bit. But find joy in that. And I don't know which is the hardest. I, I think, honestly, probably the joy in the monotony. We, joy in the success is easy. We can do that. Woo! Good Things are good. We can, as believers, we can read scripture, we can listen to the sermons, and we can say, okay, I'm supposed to rejoice in this affliction. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but yay. Maybe our expression will follow the words. Who knows? But that we we, we know intuitively. We know at least in, in our brains. If we can't get our hearts to it, yes, joy and affliction. I will. I will do it. And we'll, some of us will force ourselves to find joy. But it's it's when nothing else is when when it's just bleh. I'm supposed to find joy in this because that's where Jesus is. Circumstances are irrelevant for joy. And joy is required for peace. As a matter of fact, we have mentioned joy a lot in these five Sundays. In this series on peace, we talk about joy. It probably could have just as easily been a series on joy, but joy was never the true focus. It was always on the result of joy. It was always on what joy brings, and joy brings peace. There is no peace without joy. To prove his point, to make sure we understand it, Paul is getting excited here. That's, that's why he puts it the way he does. If we read, it, uh, we read it as an imperative, sure, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And, and if we're not careful, and, and even I will, I will read that as you telling your child the second time, go clean your room. Did you hear what I said? Go clean your room. Well, that's, that's one way to take it. But in fact, it, it, it carries not that feeling, but it's more of an excitement. Like Paul can't contain himself. He says, rejoice in the Lord and always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. That's the feeling here. From prison. Right? You remember he's in prison writing this? that's the that's that's the situation rejoice in every situation rejoice in all things i'll say it one more time rejoice as i sit here in prison potentially facing death well he left out those parts because that kind of be negative or erase that part but just rejoice in all situation y'all will get it that's the message in all things so he repeats it. Just, I, I'm not just writing this, Paul says. Paul is saying. Paul is implying. I'm not just writing this as an academic exercise. This is me putting on paper what I have in the Lord and what you can also have in the Lord. If you want peace, even in prison, potentially facing death, rejoice. Second thing he tells us we need for peace Is gentleness. Verse 5. The the second imperative. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Not sure if the Lord is near goes with let your graciousness be known to everyone. Or if the Lord is near uh, goes with don't worry. The next imperative. Probably, I think, it goes with verse 6. It's the, the comforting part of our ability to not, to wor- to not worry. But, so we'll talk about it uh, in a second. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. What we need for peace is gentleness. Uh, and this word that he uses is actually magnanimity. You are magnanimous. You are selfless. You have a generous treatment of. Of others that's the gentleness that's the same thing the same response we get from God he has, he is magnanimous he is generous in his gifts for us even if we're not talking about gifts financial material that sort of thing the joy that we get is a gift from God The peace that we have is a gift from God. He is generous with His grace. He is generous with His forgiveness. He is generous with His mercy. That is proven by the fact that we are all still alive. And He hasn't struck us for our sinfulness. We're still here because we serve a gentle, magnanimous, selfless, generous God. And Paul says, that is what you are to be as a believer. You want peace? Be gentle. Be generous. Be selfless. How does that bring peace? Should be rather obvious. This is us not insisting on our rights. This is us putting others first. You are more important than me. And then you saying the same thing to everyone else. Everyone is more important than me. We, we talked about it, Paul talks about it uh, earlier in the chapter. In chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Everyone before you. We in the, I believe it was in the 90s that this joy thing came out. You want true joy, Jesus, others, yourself. That's the order you put things. Jesus first, others second, I'm third, sort of thing. It, 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 there may be some holes in there that we could discuss, some nuance, of course, because everything should be nuanced. But generally, that is correct. If we put Jesus first, the great command. A great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second that's just like it, love uh, others as you love yourself. then we've got that order. that's all that is. And then we have the the the, the second of three ingredients for peace. and remember, as we talked about in Philippians just a, a few months ago, he is writing to a church in a situation where there is affliction and a potential church split. There are problems at the church in Philippi. It's it's better off than most. He's not writing with the harshness that he has written in the past, but he is writing to a potential problem in the church. So he is telling them, if you want peace, rejoice, even in the affliction, even in the problem that's going on, have joy because I'm going to take care of that. God's going to take care of that, rather. And also, if you want peace in the situation, then every one of you has to put everyone else first. And not only is that going to bring peace to the situation in that church in Philippi, but it's also going to be, on the part of the believers, a clear example to everyone who is watching. Everybody in the area, everybody in the community, in the town, that knows that... Part, those people are a part of First Baptist Church of Philippi, they're going to know hey, that church was having some problems. And yet, because the people put others first, and that wouldn't just translate into the chairs in the church, but it would also translate into putting others outside the church community first, putting everyone before yourself that becomes an example to those who are watching and say, there is something different about those people. There's something different about the God that they serve. I serve the God of war, Apollo. They serve a God of peace. I want to check that out. That's something I might want to be a part of. Rejoice. Always. Let your graciousness, your gentleness be known. And the third ingredient for peace is certainty. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God. Excuse me. Prayer is the cure for worry. It always has been, and it always will be, and yet we think worry is the cure for worry. We think that plans are the cure for worry. We think our uh, ability to decipher and discern what should happen next is the cure for worry, when in fact it is prayer that is the cure for worry. The imperative in verse 6 is don't worry don't worry about some of the things don't worry about the little things only worry about the really big things is not what the scripture says the scripture says don't worry about anything can we go back to having joy in the afflictions please i think i'm better at that than than the not worrying than then then the the prayer in uh, uh instead of worry I, I can force myself to be joyful it it's it's harder for me to force myself to pray instead of worry and yet it's right there uh black and white in in mine um clear and terrible. don't worry about anything and everything so, so you hear the, the, the two differences? Don't worry about anything. So it, it's, everything is excluded. But instead, pray about everything. So now everything is included. Yeah. And yet, there it sits. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In everything, Pray. And when we go through the uh, uh, discovery class for new members and new believers, we, we talk about prayer and, and we use an acrostic to help us if, if prayer is difficult or a, new, uh, a newer concept or we're just struggle with how to. We use the acrostic ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. We worship God, we, we confess our sins, we give thanks for all things, and then supplication we pray for other people and that's that's a, a nice little way of helping us to to uh, to pray, it basically follows the the model prayer that Jesus gave the disciples when they said, "Teach us to pray." But Paul here gives us a very brief outline also of how to pray. And when he says through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, he he's not really dividing it up into three categories, three sections. It's sort of the whole. Uh, but it, if it were a Venn diagram of three circles, they would all overlap instead of you know, connecting like that. Um, he says, first of all, pray through prayer, through, I just used the term, conversation. And my, I'll tell you, my, my sweetest prayer life uh time of uh, the sweetest time of my prayer life how am i trying to say this the best in my life when i had the best prayer life let me put it that way was actually years ago at at a time when i I drove it was in college and and i drove a long way to college i I, we lived in watson north of springs and i went to lsu so uh it was 25 miles uh, and if there was no traffic, it was thirty minutes. And how often in Baton Rouge was there not traffic at eight o'clock in the morning? Never. Um, and, and then the just my 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 campus job uh, that I had, I, I was a uh, in. A student worker where we took care of a fleet of cars, and we didn't actually do anything to them. We took them to the places to have things done to them. So I, I drove a little bit there, it, using that time to pray, just have a conversation. And it, it literally, the the way it would work was I'd get out of the car and have to go inside and do something and and work and and get back out to the car later on and just kind of pick up where I'd left off talking. It was just a string of of, of stream of consciousness really conversation and it worked it was great and uh it, my longing has often been and still is to be able to go back to that one day and 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 have that sort of conversation i'm working on it i'm trying but uh it, it, things aren't quite as uh uh well peaceful <laughs> as they were when i was 19. Uh, turns out i have some a few more responsibilities, and and so I worry instead of pray. Yes, I know that breaks the command of the previous imperative. Get off me. It's my job to preach to y'all. And sadly, no, not sadly, wonderfully, I get to preach to myself too. It's a constant conversation. I, I know Paul had a list, and I know he had times where he prayed, but I don't think Paul would have said, and at 7 o'clock in the morning, or some of y'all crazies, at 4 o'clock in the morning, you sit down for 30 minutes now or whatever, and you, you pray. I'm not saying don't do that. It's actually a good discipline to have a time set aside and a place set aside. But I believe what Paul is talking about here is not that you have to have that, and if you don't, you're doing it wrong. As a matter of fact, he would say it's not anything that stops it is an all-day, constant conversation. I mean, at what point does God leave you? you? You don't have to say, well, I had an appointment with God, and, and He's not here. Um, you, you know, you're the one, actually, that probably missed the appointment. It's a conversation. So through prayer, through, through constant conversation and petition, and those would be our requests. When Paul tells the, the, the churches uh, at the beginning of his letters, uh, the, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Philippi, how often I pray for you. you you're constantly in my prayers. He, he always tells them what he's praying for, for them. I pray that you have peace. I pray that you know the, the grace uh, and, and peace of, uh, uh, of, of our salvation. He's, he is, it's a, a petition For them, Paul was praying for all of these people over and over and over, constant conversation. As they came to mind, he would pray for them. And I don't think if Paul is asking, and he does a number of times, the churches to pray for him, that he is not also praying for himself. This is all-encompassing. He is telling them, have this constant conversation with God. Be in a position with the Lord where at any point you just pick up where you left off. He knows. He's not confused. He's not going, now, what were you talking about? Some of you may have a spouse that will suddenly start having a conversation with you. You know, you're getting ready on... Sunday morning, before church, for example, just randomly, um, and that spouse of yours will start talking about something, and you were thinking about who knows what, and, and or nothing. Especially if you're a guy, you were just you were literally thinking about nothing, and and that conversation starts, and you're like. What were we talking about? What did I miss? Did we, were we talking about something and I wasn't hearing you? No, no, the conversation was in your spouse's head. They'd had this conversation and so suddenly it, comes, it starts coming out of their mouths. And you don't have to raise your hand if that's happened to you. But if you, you know, sometimes, oh, um, yeah, she, uh, she recognizes that. And so you've got to get on track. You're like, okay, wait a minute. What were, you, what were we talking about? We're, and, oh, no, I was thinking about something. And Oh, okay. Well, now I'm here. You don't have to worry about that with God. You, you, you don't just suddenly start talking and he goes, wait a minute. Did I miss something? He's right there. He's got it. He knows. So when it comes to mind, I would say chances are very good that he brought it to your mind anyway. I mean, I just kind of uh, uh, envision God leaning over sometimes when you're driving down the road and you know you've got to get some, it's, it's a while before you get there and, and you're not really thinking about anything either. It's just, you know, don't want to get in a wreck. And otherwise, I'm, I'm clearing out the head and, 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 and you, you, you get a thought. And I, I just really think that's God saying, hey, I'm right here. You can talk to me. You remember that thing we were talking about earlier? Let's bring it up again. Ah, and you have this opportunity to have this conversation, to bring these requests to God. And then lastly, or thirdly, Paul says, and and the way he says it implies that uh, this goes with prayer and petition, thanksgiving, Going to God and saying, in the midst of the conversation, this ongoing conversation, Lord, thank you that the thing that I prayed about six months ago and forgot about and you took care of, thank you for taking care of that. But not thanking him for what's happened. That's, that's easy, Really? You start thinking of things, thank you, Lord, for, oh, you did this, and oh, you did that, and I prayed about that. And, and y'all, I'm horrible at journaling. I have tried to journal so many times. Uh, and if you look at the journals I have sitting around, you'll see that I did try in 1998, and then I tried again in 2004. And, and I'm talking like one, two pages. And then, again, you know, just, that's just I'm just not good at it. But occasionally, when I, especially when I want to start doing that again, I'm going to do it this time, I'll go back and read some of the things that I was writing. And it is incredible to read the things I was worrying about at the time, but doing it right, taking it to the Lord in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, and see that often the things I was worried about never came to fruition. Or the things that I was worried about were taken care of, and really, that's that's uh, that's the part I enjoy the most. Seeing what I was worried about, and 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 they did happen, but see what God did with that as we moved on. That's the beauty of the journal, of, of journaling like that. But but this thankfulness, I don't believe, is just for how God has in our minds proven his faithfulness. I believe this thankfulness in the midst of interwoven with our conversation interwoven with our petitions is not thank you for what you've done but thank you for who you are right now and thank you for what you are going to do. Even when we don't know what he's going to do. I don't know what the end is to the current affliction. I don't know what the end is to the current decision that has to be made. But I know that if I am obedient if i am wrapping my life up in uh, conversation and requests and thankfulness that he is going to take care of all those things as they come so i can be thankful now that throughout whatever comes in my future he will hold me in his hand and if that's more pandemic related mess or if that's another hurricane or if it's something that we have Never thought would happen here before. He still got it. He still has us. He still has me. So as we converse, as we request, we're thankful to God for all that he has done, all that he is. And all that he will be and will do. The fourth ingredient that is needed for peace... Is God. Now it's not an imperative. It's the actual result. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding... Will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you have joy... If you have certainty... And if you have prayer, I'm sorry, if we have joy, if we have gentleness, and we have certainty found in prayer, if we have prayer, then we will have peace. But only because of the focus or the source of those other three ingredients. I can, I can manufacture joy. I can come up with reasons, uh, as, as, a, as an atheist, as a humanist, I might can come up with reasons to have joy. As a, a, a nice, moral person, I can be general, uh, gentle, uh, magnanimous, selfless, gracious, I can, I can say that those are good qualities to have as a human being and as someone who follows some other religion chooses some other God whatever the God that might be whether it's a, a chair or myself I'm gonna get the same results regardless but whatever my God might be I can pray to that God and give my worry give my concern to those things but if I'm choosing some focus other than the one true God, I won't have peace. I'll always wonder if the chair is going to do for me what I think the chair needs to, what the chair should. I will wonder if my gentleness, my generosity, is going to be turned against me somehow. I'll run out of energy to create joy in a situation Where I have no real reason to find joy. So the fourth ingredient that I need is God. Jehovah. The Trinitarian God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. And if I have joy in the Lord. That's what verse 4 says. If I am gracious, merciful, selfless. Because the Lord is near, and because the Lord is near, then I don't worry, but I pray. Then I will have peace. I will have peace that is of a supernatural origin. I will have the peace of God. This is not manufactured peace. If we could manufacture peace, if we could bottle it and sell it, We would be millionaires. We would fill up the self-help book section at Books a Million or Barnes & Noble. fill up a warehouse of Amazon with all the different ways you can find peace. And if you remember, I told you when we started this series that a simple Google search of peace of mind gives you one billion hits. Of all these ways you can have peace of mind, one billion attempts. And I guarantee you some of them point to Scripture. But look at all the other options out there. And they don't work. Seven, eight years ago, it gave something like 250 million hits. The market has grown. And yet, there's not any more peace than there ever was. Because peace is supernatural. And oftentimes, we want peace... To come with a change in circumstance but this is not a change in circumstance paul doesn't say anything about how things around you change if you rejoice if you are gracious and if you don't worry but instead pray and present your request to god then the peace of god will come then the peace of god shows up he doesn't say the storms pass He doesn't say the afflictions are over. He doesn't say that the bank account fills up. He doesn't say that the family squabbles stop. He doesn't say that wars on earth will cease. He says that we will have peace. Peace in our situation. Peace in spite of our circumstances. And it is a peace since it is supernatural, that it is beyond understanding. You won't be able to explain the peace. And I guarantee you, if I asked you, every one of you could say, uh, give a testimony of a time when you had such peace that you can't explain, that you can't really put words to, you can't tell us why you had that peace. You just know you did. Peace beyond understanding Because if it can be explained, it can be explained away. If you can say where you got the peace, then something can be done to take that peace away. If your peace is in your bank account, a stock market crash may take away your peace. If peace is in your job a layoff, sudden layoff could take away your peace. If your peace is in family members, a tragic accident could take away your peace. If your peace is in anything other than God, any, in anything other than that which cannot be taken away from you, then your peace can be taken away. So a peace supernaturally from God, beyond understanding, cannot be taken away from us. That's peace on earth. And then we finally, after all those verses, we get to the true result of peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It guards. That peace stands guard. It stands watch. It protects. And it's an interesting... Image, if you remember uh, when we talked about, uh, I guess it was now four weeks ago, three weeks ago, we talked about Luke two fourteen, and it said uh, the 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 angel uh, uh, of hosts, the angel, uh, how does it put it um, in the he- uh, a heavenly host? That's what it says, and, and I told you that's actually a heavenly army, and we don't know how they were dressed, but in my head it's this. They're they're in battle array. They are dressed for battle and they are announcing not a war but peace. Well, you get sort of the same image here. The guard, the one with the 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 weapon to keep the, the bad people out and the good people in, or whatever, the military police standing at the gate to the fort, whatever it is, they are the ones, they are peace. It is peace that guards. Peace guards. And in this case, we're not looking at angels in battle array. We are looking at the very existence of this abstract idea of peace. I I think I'd feel much better if, if it said, and an angel will stand guard, stand watch, protect That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, peace stands watch. Peace protects. This abstract idea that only comes from God, that is beyond understanding, that is what we are depending on to guard our hearts and minds, to protect us, to defend us against sin, because sin... It, it, it is always unpeaceful. To defend against worry. There's no worry, uh, there's no peace if we are worrying. To defend against giving up in the midst of that affliction because there's no peace if we've given up. Giving up isn't peace. Surrender isn't peace. It may bring peace, but it, it, that isn't peace. Germany, Japan, they didn't feel peace when they surrendered. Now, with the Marshall Plan, right, going back to my illustrations, the peace was supposed to make them, the the, the, uh, results of peace were supposed to make them feel at peace, but the giving up didn't. And the truth is, when we give up our fight, our lives to Christ, it's a scary thing. Especially if we've been living our entire lives to get to, uh, on our own terms and, and to, to, to run from God and to say, I don't need that. As a matter of fact, I don't want that. I don't want that thing. And now, now we've got to, in order to have peace, we have to surrender. There's a step of surrender. Laying down arms and telling your enemy, because we were enemies of God, scripture makes it clear, telling your enemy... you're in charge. You're in control. I have no recourse. Truth is, we never had that anyway with God. We we were never in control. We never had any recourse. But to, to take that step and to surrender, but when we do, when we give up, when we give in, that peace of God beyond understanding takes up the sentry position in our heart and stands against those things that would take away our peace that is a wonderful image but just like i said earlier in the passage the peace is of god it is of supernatural origin we 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 don't have joy without the joy of the Lord, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. We, we don't have uh, gentleness, true uh, selflessness without the Lord. The Lord is near. We can't give up our worry if we're not praying and presenting our requests to God. And if we do those things focused on the Lord, we will have the peace of God and though that peace will guard our hearts and minds and the last little phrase in Christ Jesus this peace these ingredients only come from Jesus a relationship with him jaden loves to bake and he will, he'll try anything. And if you're on Facebook, you, you saw the cake he made with the Christmas tree on the inside. Yep, it was cool. But if we had told him, make the cake, but you can't have any ingredients. it be difficult. You know, flour, eggs, milk, butter, all the, all the stuff. You've got to make the cake, but no ingredients to do it. It's what we try to do when we try to manufacture peace in our lives. We try to come up with the ingredients. Oh, if I have it, okay, I've got to make some joy. Uh, I've got to make some, some selflessness. I've got to make some certainty. And then I'm going to take those things and I'm going to combine them, that, that, these things that I've created, and I, I'm going to make peace. It doesn't work. God knows it doesn't work. God knows that we have to go to him for the ingredients. And he says, I've got the joy that you need. The joy in the Lord. I've got the gentleness that you need. I'm I'm here. I'm with you to give you, to make you new, to make you a different person. I have the certainty through prayer because you're coming to me. You're praying to me. And then when I give you the ingredients and you bring those ingredients back to me, I will give you peace through every storm. And we find that in Jesus Christ. And to find that in Jesus, we have to recognize some things about ourselves. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. We are all sinners, and we have to admit that. We have to own our sinfulness and say, yes, I'm a sinner. But when we do, we are then owning what we are owed for that sin, which is death. Sin separates us from God. We are enemies of God, Romans chapter 5 tells us. But God did not want to leave us enemies. God did not want it to stay that way. God wanted to make a way. And he did through Jesus Christ. He gave us the gift, the gift of his son, the second person of the Trinity, God in a small thing, a baby, who grew up to be the Savior. I mean, he's always the Savior, but he he grew up to show himself to be the Savior. And through his saving act on the cross of taking our sin and the punishment for our sin, we can have eternal life. But our faith must be in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We come to Him for saving faith, and we come to Him to make Him the Lord of our lives. We surrender. And He takes care of the sin. He takes care of the war. And we have peace in Christ Jesus. And maybe that's a decision you need to make today. You've not followed Jesus Christ, you've not received him as Savior and Lord, and you need to do that. Well, it's a simple act. It's not even a, a, an out loud act. It's an in-the-heart, it's an in-the-heart act of admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Jesus is who he says he is trusting Him, receiving Him as your Savior and Lord. And you can do that today, right where you sit, whether you're at home watching this or on the road or in here this morning, you can do that. And I pray that you will receive Christ and you will have peace. And you'll have it the only way you can. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us peace. Lord, we pray you would change the circumstances. But if the circumstances don't change, Lord, we pray that you would change us by the circumstances. And Lord, we pray that we would rejoice in those circumstances, whatever they may be. And Lord, we pray that we would be gracious, gentle, magnanimous, selfless, Circumstances can often drive us to focus on ourselves, and yet you have commanded us to think of others first. May we be an example of that in the midst of affliction. And Lord, when the way does not seem clear, and we don't know what to do, and and, and we think that that the end is near, may we trust you. Not worry, but pray. Not make plans, but pray. Pray. And maybe we need to to have an idea of what's next. But Lord, we should be only doing what you have told us to do next. Not making plans for three or four steps down the road when you have our next step in front of us. God, may we be focused on you and not on the storm. And we will know peace. Peace that only comes from you. Peace that we cannot grasp or understand. And then that peace, Lord, will allow us to take on whatever it is you've put in front of us. It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for believers this morning who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, received him as Lord, and I pray that we would know that peace. Lord, I pray... For the unbelievers this morning, who have never accepted Christ as Savior, and maybe have rejected Him, and they try to manufacture joy and 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 uh, selflessness and certainty, and they just can't. At some point, the ingredients just never come together to make the cake, and that's Lord, this calls we're using inferior ingredients. Pray that they would see you this morning offering them true joy. True selflessness. True certainty. Through the work and person of Jesus Christ. And may they receive that salvation today. May we all leave here changed because of the time we've spent with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to have a time of response now, where we sing and we allow God to to speak to us. And before we start, I want to go ahead and let you know that we have had over the past couple of weeks, some people respond in faith. Kayla Moore has come forward to uh, ask to join our church by baptism. And we rejoice with her in that decision. And then my two youngest, uh, Jason and Marie, have prayed to receive Christ, and have gone through the, the New Believers class with Miss Amy this morning, and they want to follow in baptism as well. So we have three uh, New Believers that want to follow in baptism. My question is, will you join them today if you've never received Christ? But if you're a believer and you have, and, and there's a lack of peace in your heart this morning, now is your time. To come to the Lord and, and and allow that peace to guard your heart. If you would like to pray with Kirk or Lee, a couple of our deacons, uh, Tom is around. Tom will be down here to my. I'm still used to looking for you in the back. Tom will be down here to my right. If you would like to pray for him, uh, pray with him, or if you just like to come to the stage and and present this to the Lord, this is your time to do it. We want to stand. We want to sing, and I pray that you know. The peace that only God can give you today.